Episode 7, Keokuk, Iowa. Welcome to Radio War Stories. In every episode, hosts Dave Jagger and Don Nelson reach into their arsenal of decades of radio experience to entertain you with their most amusing, enthralling, and interesting stories. Suit up and get ready for today's episode. And we're back for another Radio War Stories. I'm Dave Jagger. And Don Nelson. Oh, boy, we talked about some really fun promotions you did at uh, Wire in Indianapolis last week, Don. And it reminded me of some of the big, fun promotions that we did. Now, I'll use the word big in quotes there. Okay. Because this was a station in a sixty to 80,000-person market, and we had very limited promotional budget. A lot of it was trade. A lot of it was uh, whatever we could get the other uh, advertisers to kind of come up with. I remember one of the things we gave away was the a Dr. Pepper Jeep, and I'll get to that in a second. But uh, limited money, I mean, it was a small market, and so Mr. Mays didn't want to spend a whole bunch of money on giving away cash and all kinds of things. Mr. Mays didn't want to spend a whole bunch of money in the big markets. Exactly. I mean, and his biggest market was Austin, really, because right. he had Austin, Midland, Odessa, and Victoria, Texas. Ter- terrific operator, one with, uh, who had a great history. Wonderful man and still alive to this day. I haven't talked to him, but Bob talks to him infrequently, I should say, Bob Woodman. So our KVIC promotions were just always fun, and I think that's probably coming up in the ranks in a smaller market like that, it really gives you a chance to kind of see what works and what doesn't work. Some things that we did uh, were ridiculously stupid. Other things, uh, <laughs> one that comes to mind was one that uh, one of the salespeople walked up to us one day, and uh, Trish North, I'll never forget it. Her client was Popeye's fried chicken, and she goes, this is a great idea. Trish had a very soft, kind of easy voice. And Popeyes wants to give away a buttered ear of corn. Isn't that great? Wow. <laughs> An ear of corn. Okay. Where are you going with this, Dave? <laughs> that was one of the low points. We never did that one. We refused to do that one. That one wasn't even fun. Uh, but we did have a lot of other fun. With We did a Battle of the Bands one year. And actually, the Battle of the Bands turned out to be really a lot of fun. We packed the local Riverside Park uh, with, I don't know, four or 5,000 people in just a very small area. And we had several bands playing. Uh, one of them, the, the son, was a drummer in the band. And his dad actually was a guy by the name of Bob Nance. And Bob Nance worked for KNAL Radio, the country station in the market, the bigger country station, and had a big, deep voice. And, I mean, this is Bob Nance. So Bob's son was the drummer and was in this little rock and roll band that we did. Uh, Prisoner, I think, was the name of the group. They were a three- or four-piece band. They ended up winning $300. Was, that was it, yeah. $300. But this was, in, like I said, in the mid-'70s or so. Jerry was pregnant with our first child. And I had been on 
the stage that we had actually we brought in a big flatbed truck like you were talking about last cheap week. Cheap stages. Yeah, right. the cheap stages, and we right. brought in a big flatbed truck from an 18-wheeler, and that was the stage. And we got everything set up, worked with the Parks and Recreation Department, and we really had a good time putting on the shows. I would turn my back for just a second, and I when I turned around, she's trying to climb up onto that flatbed truck. And she's about, you know, seven or eight months pregnant. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she turned around and looked at me. And she was, well, what's the matter? I said, don't climb up there. What happens if you fall down? Of course, I shouldn't have screamed at her because it startled her when I did. But we got her up there on stage. Well, I want to be up there, too. I'm part of the radio station as well. And so we finally got some steps and got her up there on the stage to help him see the entire thing. Another great promotion was the Dr. Pepper Jeep I'm talking about. And that was another one where we had a few bands, local bands and country acts and everybody, actually, even though we were a top 40 station, that came into the park and they were going to win the Dr. Pepper Jeep. It was just a regular Jeep, but it had Dr. Pepper logos all over it. And the local Dr. Pepper distributor, Dale Campbell, I remember his name well, said, hey, when we get the Jeep in, we'll let you guys take it around. We'll put the station logo on it, and you can drive it around for promotions and things. And we thought, oh, what a great idea. So when the Jeep came in, two weeks later, he finally drives it up to the radio station because he was just using it as his own vehicle. He never, ever let us drive it at all from anybody at the radio station. Nobody got a chance to drive the thing. That was, and then when he gave it away, then he had to let it go. So I never liked Dale Campbell after that. <laughs> he never let us drive the Jeep. And you never drove another Jeep after and that. And I never, either. well, actually I did. <laughs> right. But that one, that one was not right. I mean, he did the entire promotion, and it was all uh, trade right. once again. So uh, he kept the Jeep, and we never got a chance to see it. You know, the interesting thing to me is how these promotions would literally go from coast to coast. If a radio station in Op, Alabama uh, mm -hmm. did something that was successful, Mobile picked it up the next day, yeah. New Orleans was running it a week later, yeah. and it just kept going. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. We would try to do anything we could to get something going, particularly in the summer months, since Victoria was maybe... 20 miles, 30 miles from the Gulf Coast, mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of, obviously, recreational people going down there to swim on the coast and uh, take their surfboards down there on the little breakers and things that are along the Gulf Coast. So we found, somehow, a surfboard. And we were going to give away the KDIC surfboard. And we were going to have a guy that did a lot of our artwork for the radio station and logos and things. Uh, to paint it for us with really nice scenes with the logo for the station and waterproof paint, that kind of thing. So we got it, we bought it, sight unseen. I think we had a picture of it. And when they finally sent it to the radio station, it was a fiberglass surfboard, but it had a huge crack in it. Yeah, these trade deals sometimes just don't work out. Right? It was cracked all the way to the styrofoam inside. <laughs> and so... We looked at Norris Broussard, the guy that was the artist, and we said, Norris, can you do anything to fix this? He says, well, I can 
fill it with some fiberglass, but I think it's never going to float well anyway. <laughs> Let me just kind of paint over it. So we did. We just painted over it and gave away the surfboard with the big crack in it. And I remember the winner was extremely happy to get it. So little promotions like that that were a lot of fun to do. And we did a lot of those in Victoria. Did you guys do uh, the promotion that went around the world of how long one disc jockey could stay awake? No, we thought about it, uh, but we didn't do that one. Or the drinking on the air, that was another one that we never yeah, we, did. We did either. the stay awake in, in uh, Quad Cities, and, and uh, the guy that did, uh, did was our all-night jock, Jack Barlow. And Jack stayed awake a very long time, and then kind of went a little nuts because... <laughs> get punchy after a the, while. The station manager came in and they started screaming at each other. We decided, okay, this has gone long enough. So. Oh, too bad they didn't open the mics for that one. I bet that was fun to view. <laughs> but yeah, that's the kind of stuff that really made a lot of fun. Uh, made radio a lot of fun. They don't do that kind of stuff anymore. None of those kinds of things are done. Yeah, WNAP in India had the raft race on the White River. White River is not much of a river, but uh, they had literally thousands of people making little homemade rafts to float down mm -hmm. this river. Yeah. These were the kind of local promotions that just became annual affairs, and like our wire picnics that went on and on and on. When we first went to Grand Rapids in Michigan, the uh, classic rock station was uh, WLAV, and uh, they did the river raft thing. And again, that was one of those things that yeah. one station did it, and it just yeah. went all over the country. Well, the only problem with uh, LAVs doing it was the f they did it three or four years in a row. And the only reason they stopped doing it, someone drowned. That'll do it every time. That ended that promotion real yeah, quick. I'm guessing. That was a goodbye to that one. And last week you talked about consultants as well. Our first consultant, and he's still there, Mike McVeigh. I've talked about Mike to you several times. And I chatted with Mike at the CMA Awards uh, two months ago. So, yep. So, Mike had actually heard of us when we were in San Antonio before we moved to Michigan. Uh, he was consulting somebody else in that city. So, when we moved to Grand Rapids, the general manager hired Mike to be our consultant. And... Six weeks after we moved to Grand Rapids, I broke my leg in three places. Show business. Yes. Break a leg. But it turned out that we were just at uh, one of the salesperson's apartment complex, and we were out throwing a Nerf football around, and I slipped in the water. It had been raining a couple of days, and I broke my leg in three places. Our insurance had not kicked in yet. So I went to the hospital with no insurance, and was laid up for two or three weeks. Mike McVeigh, the first couple of days afterwards, had come up to, the, uh, to Michigan to meet us and say hi to us. Been hired by the general manager. When Mike came to the hospital, I'm laying in the bed, and he st I saw him standing outside the door, but the doctors and the nurses were all crowded around me. My leg was elevated, but the problem was my leg had started to swell, and... They grabbed my leg because they wanted to insert some kind of dye or something in there. And I let out a scream. And Mike looked at the general manager and then looked over at me and they went, maybe we'll come back later. <laughs> you know, I think it's important to mention uh, in our first conversation about consultants, we, we 
pointed out, there really weren't any. And the ones who were consultants were people who were looking for another job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, however, in this interim period, people like McVeigh and Charlie yeah. Cook and Tom yeah. Watson yeah. and all of these people came along who are incredibly knowledgeable and who were able to take their knowledge of what worked in one market and move it to another market. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, uh, consultants not only became legitimate, they became an incredibly important part of our business. They did. Uh, general managers loved them. Talent, not so much. Mm -hmm. Now, I always got along with Mike. Mike's still, to this day, a very good friend of mine and was of Jerry's as well. But... Uh, the one thing I used to hear about consultants, and I didn't come up with this phrase, and you've probably heard it, but that was, you know the definition of a consultant? No. That's a guy that knows 50 ways to screw but doesn't know any women. <laughs> and that's what we used to hear about consultants. <laughs> but when we bought that FM in Indianapolis, the consultant that we hired, Jim Shokey, at this point had number one radio stations in a number of huge markets. And all it was was uninterrupted 15-minute segments of Mantovani, strings, beautiful music, and, and our slogan, all music, all the time, oh, you know? Boy, yeah. But Shoki was, was a piece of work. He operated out of New York, out of his apartment. Uh, he would not come into a market. He said, Jim, you got to come out and, and, you know, meet our people and all of this. He said, screws up my ear. And I said, what screws up your ear? He said, Riding on airplanes. If I get on an airplane, it takes me two days to hear the quality of the station. Oh, my gosh. Well, he had, it was just a great scam. He, you know, that, sure, he told that, everybody that, so he got so, to hang out in New York and have us send him tapes. Mm -hmm. but, and checks. Yeah, absolutely, lots of checks. <laughs> because he's the one who provided the tapes. We, he had all of the music. And oh, that's right. I'd forgotten about that. He send he would send right. the tapes for the right. uh, he he put it all together yeah. and, and had the production facilities in yeah. New York and all of that. Mm -hmm. And we had the the big Schaefer automation system that mm -hmm. uh, made noises and, and <laughs> bells went off and things. Lots like of that. things going around in circles, like you said the other day. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but Shuki was definitely one that I remember. Uh, was he responsible for Muzak as well? Who was no. it that was responsible for the Muzak? Because I thought he had something to do with that, no? Because uh, we owned in San Antonio, I remember our company did own the Muzak system. Right. And that was on the second floor of the building we were in. And it was basically nothing more than a Schaefer automation right. system yeah. mm -hmm. playing those tapes at a very slow speed. No bass lines in the music. It had to be... Did you know that was one of the rules oh, for music? Oh, absolutely, yeah. 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 No big bass lines, no loud horns, nothing like that. No thump, thump, thump. Exactly, right. exactly right. So the, that's why elevator music was called what it is today, because yeah. of the music guys, and, and that's the way they made tons of money. But at this point in our life in Indy, we are now sitting with, like, the number one and number two stations in the market, our own. The beautiful music became the, number the two? The beautiful music was number two until WIBC and Jimmy Hilliard came along and knocked it down to number three. But it was a cash cow. Literally, there was no expense involved with it. And because of the numbers, uh, it just took all of the money to the bottom line. It was an interesting time. And one of the things that later became a huge problem was we were not able to break away from the beautiful music because it was making so much money. We'll tell that story later. You know, I lucked into 
Station ownership the easy way. Uh, again, my mentor came to me uh, at about age 25 when I was a sales manager for him and said, we're going to buy Keokuk, Iowa. I said, the whole town? He said, no, the radio station, the radio station. <laughs> and you're going to buy 10% of it. And I said, you know, I've got about $300 in my bank account. How's that going to work? And he said, not a problem. I'm going to front you. And when we sell the station, I'll take my money back, and whatever profit we make, you get to keep. But that was how I ended up with 10% of K-O-K-X in Keokuk, Iowa. Was this a way of him to just thank you because he liked you so much because you guys worked well together, or was he just looking for another name to tack on as the ownership for the radio station? No, it was, it was an, a lesson that I learned the easy way. If you want to keep people loyal give them something mm -hmm. okay uh, people were always amazed in in indy that they could never hire our daytime air staff and the reason they couldn't had nothing to do with how much or how little they were being paid it had to do with the fact that we created a, a vehicle for them a corporation called the country gentleman caravan we incorporated the jocks we did this the jocks had their own corporation, had nothing to do with WIRE or Mid-America or Don Nelson. It Man. was just the air staff. And because of the proximity to Nashville, they did tours, bus tours to Nashville. And they did one a month. And sometimes they would have as many as five busloads of people in a row going down I-65 to Nashville. And they arranged to you know, take them backstage at the Opry and do all of that kind of stuff. And, and the guys made a lot of money. And so the money that they were able to generate on their own, on their own time, uh, was what kept other stations. And God knows every one of them got uh, somebody after them on a monthly basis. Oh my goodness. But they simply could not afford to hire them. Well, I have a general manager, a former GM in Grand Rapids that would argue that point about the money because uh, that's all he thought we were there for, and so <laughs> he hated paying us the money. But too bad, Phil. But, you know, the, the first little station in Keokuk, Iowa, that little 10%, a uh, couple of three years later, one came up in St. Joe, Missouri. And so at this point, I am named president of the company. Now, that didn't mean anything other than the fact that my boss didn't want to be going back and forth to St. Joe, so he figured if he made me president, he could say, you go over and take care of all oh, that stuff. Oh, I see. But pretty much the same group that was in Keokuk, and we went over and, and we bought KKJO in St. Joe. And this continued to grow, and our ownership in radio stations continued to grow. Next time out, uh, we ended up in Utica, Rome. And that story we're going to save for another day. All right. We'll talk about that one later. Thank you, Don. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Radio War Stories. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Like us on Facebook at Radio War Stories and call in with your questions or comments here or on Skype. Skype at RadioWarStories.com. We look forward to hearing from you. See you next week.